Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Family and friends get together and hearts are merry. Children are in wonder and expectation. It is a time filled with bright lights, beautiful decorations, and the delightful sounds of joy. How did this season come to be? Christmas is about a baby born whose single life changed the world for good. More than anyone else who was ever born, Jesus changed the world for good. Christmas is promise, presence, and peace. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. All of you who are worshiping with us online, we're so grateful that you are part of the service today. Merry Christmas and have a happy new year. We're so grateful to God for you and for everyone that is here at the Sugarland campus. Merry Christmas, everybody. So grateful that you're a part of this service. Over the last few weeks, uh, our pastors, uh, the campus pastors of the two service of the two campuses and our worship team have been rotating around. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the joy of being at Missouri City and then Richmond Rosenberg and here. And I have to tell you, my heart is so full for seeing all of these Sugar Creek members everywhere. The, the, the new people that have come into our church is just shocking to me. It is absolutely amazing to me. And the leadership that has ri risen up on all of our campuses, it is just a work of God. And so I am so grateful. I can tell you, we could not possibly put everybody on this campus ever again because the, our congregation has grown so much to the glory of God. Now, we're in a new series today that is uh, our, our in, in the last couple of weeks called Christmas Is. And we've already looked at Christmas Is Presence. Pastor Tim Homa taught on that. And Christmas is about the promises of God in our life. And Pastor Xavier talked about that. And now I wanna to talk to you about Christmas Is Peace. Actually, in the month of December, there's nothing about peace at all in the month of December, if you think about it. I mean, every month has a lot of stuff going on, but in the month of December, it's like three times more, four times more. You just think about all that's going on, all the details that you've got to get done, all the activities that the kids are involved in in school and church because of Christmas, the parties, and, and then the decorations, both inside and outside of the house. You don't do that all year long. And then the tree, trimming a tree, getting it just like you want it. And then the, the presents, how many presents? How many presents have you had to buy? You gotta think about every one of them, hoping you don't leave somebody out. And then you gotta go and you gotta figure out what it is you're going to buy. And I know a ton of people are shopping online and I love online shopping, but the truth is there are still, everywhere you go, there are people everywhere, all the stores. It is crazy at this time of year, all the presents. And when you, once you get them bought, did I get the right one? Are they gonna really like this or did I mess up? Did, did I get a good enough gift? All that is going on this whole month. Then on Christmas Eve, the man of the house, 
wakes up and then is in sheer panic. Oh, I gotta get my wife a Christmas present. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) And then on Christmas morning, the woman of the house wakes up and says, I think I did it. I got all the food, I I got all the presents, I got all the decorations, I got everything the way I want them to be. Oh, Christmas is exhausting. And then when you get to that point and you've gone through all of this month and you get to Christmas Day, you think about the one or ones that are not there this year. Maybe it's a family member, an extended family or a friend member, but it's a, or a friend, but it's someone who now has gone on to be with the Lord. And this is the first Christmas that you're dealing with that. That's the case for our family. And then we are all what is being called the the post-pandemic trauma. We're all going through the uh, re-establishment of norms in our lives. And there are some people that have taken this, the isolation was far more damaging to some than it was others. And the economic uh, merry-go-around that's happening is incredible. And, And some people are wondering, do I even have a job in 2023? There is a lot of stress that is going on today. So if I made you depressed yet, I'm trying my hardest. And then you think about the road rage. You think about the road rage and the anger and the hatred. Did you hear the story that happened this last week? A guy in, in uh, Missouri went to a KFC and ordered a meal, you know, on the speaker, ordered the meal, a drive-through. And when he ordered the meal and he chose as one of his sides corn, the person said, well, I am so sorry, sir, but we are out of corn. You are out of corn? He got so angry, I'm not kidding you, got so angry, he got a gun out and shot one of the employees because they were out of corn. Now the employee is recovering. Is, is not fine, but is recovering. But this guy is going to spend years and years in prison when it would have been better had he just driven to a grocery store a mile away and picked up a can of corn and gone home and warmed it up. But look at the rage, the out of control. This country's going nuts, it's going crazy. The, the kinds of things that we're hearing, I've not heard before, they're so nuts. This culture knows how to get us angry. It knows how to build hatred in our heart. Even against people we didn't have a hatred for. Even against others that we weren't angry with. But it doesn't know how to bring us together. No, to bring us, doesn't even want to bring us together, by the way. But what the only thing that can break down the barriers, the only thing that can cause us to love other people across every barrier that this culture presents is Jesus. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. It was understood that when Jesus came, the promise was that the presence of Jesus would bring peace. Listen to what the passage says, the promise 700 years before Christ came. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. It simply means he'll be in control, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. 
the mighty God, the everlasting father. That phrase simply means the creator of everlasting, the prince of peace. This next verse in verse seven is something that will literally physically happen on the earth that is called the millennial reign of Christ and then be transferred to heaven and notice how it describes it, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, the word that I want you to grab hold of is the word of peace. That Hebrew word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. But that word is far deeper than our English word peace. Our English word peace simply means that two people that were fighting aren't fighting anymore, or two groups of people or two countries of people who were fighting are not fighting anymore. Now there is peace. But shalom means more than that. The word shalom means something that was broken has now become whole. Something that was lost has now been found. It means to be safe. It means to be at ease in our spirit, in our mind, in our body. It means to be at ease. This is why Jewish people uh, thousands of years ago when they would uh, greet each other, they would greet each other with the word shalom. Why? Because it is a sense of, I hope, that you have been living in ease of mind. I hope that what was broken has been whole. I hope that you are living in a safe environment. It shalom. And then when they would leave, they say shalom. Same word. I'm hoping for this in your future. And when Jesus comes, the Bible says that not only will he be peace, he will be the prince, the prince of peace. Uh, 3,000 years ago, uh, this is how kingdoms did it. The king, once his oldest son was in his 20s or 30s, the king no longer went out to battle. He would send his oldest son to be the general of the armies. Now, they had trained him all these years to absorb that role into his life. It was part of the way in which that older son would learn how to lead. He would, he would learn how to uh, gain the respect of the people through uh, what he would do as the general of the armed forces. And so that prince was the prince upon which the whole country dependent. And Jesus is that very thing. He is the prince. He is the prince that upon him all peace comes. I, I don't know if you remember the, the name Barbara Walters. Does that ring a bell? Many of you would do that. Not everyone, maybe younger, would not, have understood, would not have been acquainted with her. But she was at one time the greatest female interviewer of all time. I've read some things about her. I've heard her speak a couple of times. I think she is such a quality human being. Barbara Walters. Does the name Richard Dreyfus ring any bells? He was, he's an actor. And, and in 1995, Barbara Walters was interviewing Richard Dreyfus. He, he had just done the movie, been the star of the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. And, and now he was nominated for Academy Award. So Barbara Walters is interviewing him and she asked the question, Richard, what is the one thing you don't have that you want more than any other thing in your life? 
He didn't have to think about it. Immediately out of his, his mouth came, I want peace. I want inner peace. When I read that story, I thought, Richard Dreyfus, you need Jesus, the Prince of Peace. No wonder the angels on that night in which Jesus was born said to those shepherds that were out in the fields, glory to God in the highest and on earth what? Peace. And on earth peace and good will toward all men. When there is an absence of peace, when there is an absence of good will to, toward all people, there is an absence of the lordship of Jesus. In any country, in any family, in any church, in a church where they're fighting, when there is an absence of peace, where there is an absence of goodwill toward all people. It's as though that church has escorted Jesus out. Because wherever Jesus reigns, there's peace. And there is goodwill toward all mankind. This is why Jesus, making the statement to his disciples, said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give you a peace that the world gives. I don't give the same kind of peace that the world gives because the peace that the world gives comes and goes. It isn't stable, it doesn't take care of you, it doesn't get you to the other side, but my peace does. And he says then, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. What is he saying in this passage of scripture? He is saying, whatever you're going through, I got it. Whatever you're facing, whatever difficulties you're going through, whatever struggles financially you're having or with health or whatever else, look to me. I may not turn around your finances today, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm not, I may not turn around your, your, your ailments today, but I ask you, would you turn to me? Would you look to me? Would you yield yourself? Because I've got it. I can bring peace into your heart where you would have fear, a peace that passes all understanding if you will turn your heart to me. Jesus made the statement in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That word rest in the Greek is just simply another word for peace. I will give you peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find peace. You'll find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know how many times. Over my ministry, I prayed this passage of scripture. I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. Yield yourself to me. And I will be your peace. So when Jesus comes, when he, when he came, what is it? What kind of peace was he to give to, to bring to us? First of all, it, it, the, the promise was Jesus brings us peace with God. Brings us peace with God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, circle the word through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace with God only comes one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something that you'll probably think, no, I don't believe that. It's not, yep, it can't be true. You're, you're probably exaggerating this. 
but actually I'm not. Listen to, listen to this. The Bible says that, that a person, before they give their heart to Christ, before they accept Jesus as their Savior, they are actually an enemy of God. They're actually at war with God. God doesn't want the war, but they're at war with God. You say, wait a minute, I, 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 think, I think that is a, a, an over-exaggeration. It can't possibly be true. No, I'm going to show it to you. Listen to what he says first of all. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 18, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one is truly, truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And, and right there, just stop for a moment, right there, some of you say, well, I know a whole lot of people that are good. I know people that do not know Jesus as Savior, and they are good people. And you know what? I do too. Very, very good people. But you see, when we think of the word good, we think of a comparison of one person to another. We know what people that aren't good look like. We know what people that are good, how they act. And when we compare the two, oh, they're good people. But when God is talking about good, he is talking a comparison of us, of a person, to him, to his holiness, to his perfection. And when you and I get compared to God, his holiness and his perfection, there is none good. No, not one. And that is what he's telling us in the verse. Verse 13, their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. Imagine that. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. An amazing description. Description. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They don't know where to find peace. And they have no fear of God at all. And it is because of this, the state of a person who does not know Christ as Savior, it's because of this that Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, for the sinful nature that is inside all of us is always hostile at war, always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. God still loves every person, but he is arm's length. He cannot allow our sin to be in proximity of his holiness. There is still a separation that happens. He still loves, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves but there is a distance, there is a separation because of the hostility toward God. So listen to what the Bible then says in Romans chapter five, verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, I wasn't exaggerating a thing, this hostility, this enemies, this at war with God. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, a friendship, a new friendship with God through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life, his resurrection? It is the death of Jesus Christ where God took all of our sins and placed it on Christ and took the righteousness of Jesus and put it inside of us. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything for us and our whole relationship with God. You and I can never get to heaven by our own good deeds. You and I are saved only because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is Jesus and his death and resurrection 
that saves us, not our own goodness. So here is what I want to challenge you with. Stop trying to convince God how good you are. Oh, God, look at me. I'm in church today. I mean, I, I obviously am a good person. And, and God, I, I do good, good things for other people. I open the door for little old ladies when they, they're going by. I, I, I'm nice to other people. I'm good to my neighbor. All the, I'm a good person. Stop trying to convince God about how good you are. He knows the truth. And stop making promises to God that you already know you're never going to keep. Instead, Healed yourself to God. How we are saved is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Give your heart to Christ. Accept Jesus into your heart. He is the only way by which you and I can get to heaven and have peace with God. When Jesus came, he came to do what was necessary, his death and resurrection, so that you and I would have peace with God. And I want to challenge you. Those of you who are, who are watching online today, Give your heart to Christ. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Your chat host will help you as you go through that and show you what to do and how to do it. And for those at the Sugarland campus this morning, give your heart to Christ if you haven't accepted him. You can in the next step center today. Come to know peace with God that can only happen through Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing. Jesus brings us peace with ourselves. He brings us peace with ourselves. I've encountered so many people in the ministry in which they know I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I've given my heart to God and God's forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself. I will not forgive myself. Here's what the Bible says. He says, when God forgives us, he totally forgives us. He separates us from our sin as far as the East is from the West. That's what the Bible teaches but I've encountered so many people that have said to me, but I think it's almost noble of me to not forgive myself for the terrible things I've done. And instead, what they do is they keep whipping themselves. They keep beating themselves up. They keep bringing up that past thing or things that they've done in their life. Oh, I have got to keep working hard to try to be better so that God will see what has happened in my life. I'm going to tell you something. We do good things to God. We live in a good way, in a right and righteous way because we love God for what he has done for us, not because we can make ourselves somehow saved. When a person lives that life of theirs as beating themselves up, living over and over those terrible things they've done, it's like a person who is driving a car but only looking at the rearview mirror. You're not going to get very far until you have a crash. You, you can't go forward in your life until you take your eyes off the rearview mirror and you drive. And you drive with an open heart, with a forgiven heart, with an understanding of what God's done for you and you forgive yourself. You don't keep carrying that wherever you go. You don't keep hurting yourself as somehow as some noble uh, thing that you're doing. You let it go and you forgive yourself. And you be who you are in Jesus. See, God, when he sees you and I, he didn't see us as much as he sees Jesus in us. 
So listen to this passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and scroll all the way down to verse 22 and listen to what it says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance. With the full assurance. That phrase, that full assurance is actually a Greek word that means boldness. He is saying, come before the throne of God with boldness. Not with timidity, with boldness. He says, come before the, 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 draw near to God with a sincere heart in boldness, a boldness that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We're to come before God without any sin because that sin has been forgiven us without hitting ourselves and beating ourselves up for past things come with boldness before God oh I I could never come with boldness no when God sees you he sees Jesus in you come with boldness I, I don't know if you caught this or not maybe it got past you but the Houston Astros won the World Series did anybody remember that anybody and do you know what happened a couple of days after that? It was either a day or two after that. There was a big parade in downtown Houston. How many of you were a part of the parade? Anybody? Oh, we got people that were a part of that parade. I'm told that the parade had around 300,000 people. I don't know for sure, but that's what I read from one person around, uh, one reporter, around 300,000 people in downtown Houston lining the streets for that parade. Can you imagine the number of porta-potties they had to bring in for 300,000 people? How How do you even pull that off? And people were cheering and all the, the, the cars and, and the, all the players uh, came down that parade and all that. Did you know that that very activity, after you win a World Series or Super Bowl or whatever, that very activity was actually birthed about 3,000 years ago. And, and in that time, what would happen is that a king would face another king and his armies in some battle and one king would be victorious or one prince be victorious. And when that happened, they would, they would chain that defeated king and they would haul him back. And then there would be a parade and there would be thousands and thousands of people lining the streets. And here would come a chariot with, drawn by two white horses and there is the king and people are cheering him and he's waving at them and there's the prince are cheering at him. And behind that, uh, that chariot would then be the king that was defeated. He'd be all chained up and he's walking and everyone would jeer at him and they, all that. And then here comes all of the army You know, just marching. You can imagine just marching. Now, no one that was lining the streets dared to break rank and go toward the king's chariot. No one dared because there was all these secret service people, all these these warriors that were walking along and they would cut you down. We're not gonna let you get anywhere close to the king. You might, might harm him. But all of a sudden, the little boy he breaks ranks and he runs toward the chariot. And at first, the, the, the guards are, are concerned and they draw their swords, but then they stop. And the little boy goes right past them and all the way to the chariot and up into the arms of his father, the king. Nobody else dared to break rank or they'd be cut down. But this little boy dared. He came with boldness. He ran with, with a sense of security because that's his daddy. He is a child 
of the king. You and I, the moment we give our heart to Christ, we accept Jesus as our savior. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and our whole person changes. We now become a child of the king. We become a child of God. Jesus saved me. I became a child of almighty God and so did you. I am now not weak. I am strong because of Jesus. I'm not rejected, I'm accepted because of Jesus. I'm not a mistake, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not lost, I've been found and placed upon the solid rock of Jesus. I am not a loser, I'm a conqueror because of Jesus. I choose to be who God says I am, not who Satan says that I am. I choose to believe what God says about me, not the lies that Satan whispers into my heart. I am forgiven and loved and filled with purpose in my life. I am destined to walk into heaven as an overcomer. That is who I am in Jesus Christ. That is who you are. That is you. There ought to be some amens. You bet there should be. This is who you are. And because you are this person, you can boldly go before God in prayer, boldly go before the throne of God. And you will find his arms wide open for you. And he will say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you. Oh, but what of all the things that I have done? And God will say to you, I don't even, I don't even remember those things. I have wiped the slate clean, I love you, you are my child. That is who you are. Stop this rejection of yourself. Stop this, this, this beating up of yourself and whipping yourself. As Prince of Peace, Jesus is the one who can bring peace inside your soul. Yield yourself to who you are in Jesus Christ. And then this last one, Jesus brings us peace with others. I gotta, I gotta go fast here, I'm over time, but listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We will never be able to feel our way into doing hard things. We have to do our way into feeling. What in the world does that mean? Anytime you and I face hard things, our feelings, our emotions cry out against, oh no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. We will never do the hard things that God is calling us to do unless we put our feelings to the side and say, I will do the right thing even if I don't want to do it. And I've heard some people say, well, I can't do that. I would be a hypocrite. I don't even want to be nice to that person. If I try to be nice to that person, I'd be a hypocrite. No, you, you would be an obedient follower of Christ. That's who you'd be. Your and my emotions always cry out against us to do the hard thing. But what God calls us to do is to do the right thing. Even if we don't want to do it, even if all of our emotions cry against it, to obey God. And the craziest thing happens once we begin to obey God and we do what God tells us to do, an amazing thing happens. Our feelings finally catch up to our doing. Don't let your feelings lead you because they'll lead you the wrong way every time. Let God's word lead you, do what he tells you, and the most amazing transformation will happen in your life. And it is all because of obedience. Now, all of that I say because of this verse, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
As God in Christ forgave you, three key principles very quickly. First, choose to be kind to others, even if you don't want to be. I would ask for everybody to raise their hands who have somebody in their life they don't like and they don't want to be kind to them. I'd ask you to raise your hand, but only half of you would have the courage to raise your hand. The others wouldn't raise your hand, but that you didn't turn into liars because all of us, isn't it true? All of us have people we do not like. Maybe they've been mean to you. Maybe they've hurt you, whatever it is. And you do not like that person. But yet he says, choose to be kind to others, even when you don't want to be. Don't let your emotions lead you. Second of all, he says, choose to be tenderhearted. Third, he says, choose to forgive the person in your life who hurt you. Not because they deserve it. Because they don't. But because God forgave you when you didn't deserve it. Matt Mattingly is the guy who walked all the way from the Statue of Liberty in New York City all the way to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, 3,500 miles. I can't hardly believe it. I, 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 I would have never made it. I'd been dead by the time I got out of New York, probably, or at least New York State. But he walked all that way. It took him 117 days to walk 3,500 miles. And he said, you know, so many times I wanted to quit. So many times I seriously wanted to quit and thought I couldn't go any further. And he said, it was not walking up the Rocky Mountains. It was not because I had to walk through some deserts. It was not because of the length of the journey. He said, what kept tripping me up? What kept giving me so much heartache? I just thought I can't go any further. Are the little pieces of sand that would find their way into my shoes. And they so rubbed the wrong way, I could barely, barely stay focused in the walk. Oftentimes it's the little things, it's the neighbor next door, it's somebody else that has hurt us, has wounded us, that makes us to want to stop doing what God has told us to do. It's the little things. Jesus came as a Prince of Peace to give us peace with God, with ourselves, and with others. And I'm asking you to open your heart to this peace in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And oh God, we do fail. All of us feel it. All of us feel so unworthy, but we only feel that we're unworthy because we actually are. It was not our worthiness that opened the door to a relationship with you. It was the worthiness of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is the source of our peace. Father, I pray you would move in hearts of those who are online to open their heart to know Jesus as Savior, to to be a part of the Next Step Center and talk to one of our ministers and those in this congregation at Sugar Land to open our hearts to you Christmas is peace, but only if we allow it to be in our hearts. 
Change us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.